I think that's what makes sidewalk inherently unique is that we have these, you could call them incubations, basically early stage product ideas that then turn into businesses internally. They're all like pretty different business models. Welcome to the What is UX podcast, the show where we interview design leaders about their journey and experience so that you may learn from them. I'm your host, Peck Pompat. On this episode, we have the director of design of Sidewalk Labs, an alphabet company. Her name is Michelle Ha Tucker. Welcome to the show. Michelle, could you introduce us to your, uh, to the audience? Yeah, thanks for having me, Peck. I am Michelle Ha Tucker. Some people know me as MHT, just a faster way to sign all my emails and, and notes and things. And I lead our design team at Sidewalk Labs, which is the BET as a part of Alphabet that focuses on urban innovation. And you might be thinking, what is urban innovation? It is what we believe it is, is a new sector, which is really technologies and approaches that are about really transforming urban life and reimagining cities with the goal to making them much more livable and improving quality of life. And when I say quality of life, things like affordability, housing affordability, sustainability, making our neighborhoods and cities not just climate zero, but hopefully climate positive in the future. So a lot of big goals that will take a lot of time to achieve, but Sidewalk was really created with this mission of hopefully catalyzing a lot of advances with technology in this area. So that's a little bit about Sidewalk. Shall I go into my story too? Like more? Yeah, about- yeah. So love to hear about how you got started. I know you have quite a few advanced degrees. So yeah, let's talk about how you got <laughs> A uh, part of this podcast is not just about your career and, and profession right now, but yep. also for designers really in their career to see how people get there, right? Like it can be daunting to say, oh, wow, she's the head of design at Sidewalk or head of design at blah, 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 big company. How do new designers navigate their career? So I, I think it's very helpful, even just for me, how to see how people have navigated their careers. So I think it'd be great to cover some of that. Yeah. Well, I grew up in California. I grew up in the Bay Area. And I think that surprises a lot of people, especially in the tech world, because a lot of people move to the Bay Area. And I'm actually one of those rare ones that grew up actually just down the street from Google. I grew up in a small-ish town called Los Altos. And I didn't realize it until growing up, but actually both my parents were very much in the tech industry in you know the, the 90s and, and early Where did they work? So my mom, she worked at Sun Microsystems and she also worked at Cisco. Oh, wow. And and then she also worked at NASA Ames. Yeah, she was, the funny thing is that she studied in in Taiwan and actually has a degree in, in English, in the English sort of language and literature studies. But I think my dad actually convinced her that computer science was the hot new thing in the 80s. And so they actually both went to San Jose State, studied computer science, and then became engineers at these like super uh-huh. early stage, like the earliest kind of Silicon Valley birth boom. Yeah. And actually, prior to Sun, she worked at she worked at Apple in the 80s when she was pregnant with me. She was working at a in a cubicle at Apple and she's still- who's who of Silicon Valley. It's amazing. <laughs> She still has this email where she, it's from Steve Jobs and it's to her and a few other people, including her manager, thanking them 
for a job well done for a project she just completed. And she had it. I think she just had it on like a piece of paper. She printed out yellowing. I'm like, mom, you got to frame this. This is pretty amazing. Silicon Valley lore. Meanwhile, my, my dad worked for 20 years at IBM and then also Hewlett Packard. The things that you don't really realize when you're a kid, you're just like, my parents have jobs and it's cool <laughs> that I have this Macintosh 2C computer that was a giveaway from my mom like early on. So yeah, things you don't realize until you grow up a little bit and you look back and you realize that you really grew up in this cradle of big tech. But that's certainly not what I had imagined for myself necessarily growing up. I actually was really drawn to my art classes. I was really drawn to design, of course. And my dad actually studied architecture in his undergrad when he was in Taiwan. And he noticed that I had taken an interest in it. And he said, why don't you stay away from that? Because I have (laughs) experience having studied this and you're going to be overworked and underpaid. And I would pay to see you go through a really tough profession like that. And of course I didn't listen to him. So I when I was looking for colleges, wanted to make sure I found a great architecture program, but I guess his voice was still in the back of my head. So I said, (laughs) okay, I'm going to hedge a little bit and I'm going to study architecture, but I also studied business at at, at MAT. It's called uh, management science. I studied both of those things. And I think one really important person in terms of determining my career path, I've had a few mentors that have been really critical to me in that journey. And one of them is a fellow named John Maida, who is a very well-known designer and technologist. And at the time when I was in college, he was at the Media Lab and I had done an internship at the Media Lab. I was really just obsessed with the place. I felt, wow, this is so magical. There's like people of different disciplines from media arts to design to computer science all working together, which is this theme that definitely has pervaded throughout my career, like my fascination with that kind of work. So I saw the Media Lab as really this mecca for that. And he really helped me see that there were interesting thinkers and companies at this intersection of design, technology, and business that I should go check out, one of which included IDEO which I had not heard of before. And he said, I think you should take a look at it. And there is someone named Bill Moggridge, who happens to be the father of interaction, designed the first laptop, that interface. And you should study up on him and read more about this, right? I was super fascinated. I got hooked on it. I And then I went to IDEO straight out of college. And that's one of the first moves that kind of set me off on this career path that's really about UX is about, a lot of it is about being obsessed with and really curious about people and users. And IDEO helps me drink the Kool-Aid on that quite early. Yeah. Yeah. As IDEO comes up a lot in many ways, the company I'm building, I'd love to be, uh, I look up to IDEO and I've always looked up to IDEO. So my, my own version, if I could have my own version of IDEO, it'd be amazing. So, so thank you for yeah. sharing that. Yeah. You've went to MIT and then Harvard and then IDEO. It's a quite impressive resume. Yeah. One of the things we ask uh, of our guests is, in your opinion, what is what is UX design for you? What does that mean when you have to explain design to people? And yeah. Or to your, maybe your, to your parents, they're kind of more tech savvy, but uh, how do you explain when people ask what you do? And uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. I think usually the conversation kind of goes, oh, I think you're, you went to architecture school, right? What do you design? And it doesn't compute if it's not, if the answer isn't buildings. And so I usually say something like, I'm thinking more digital products. So make it something that is accessible for people. Everyone has their favorite apps these days. So thinking about linking it to something they know very well, whether that's, let's say, maps or WhatsApp or things like that, and designing those as experiences that can be both really bad and challenging as well as really good and reinforcing that everything that makes that app or this meal that you're having or the show that you're watching or anything that as you move throughout your daily life, if you have trouble with something or if you really love something, I think those are decisions made by a designer at one point in time. Like design is a very diffuse and pervasive discipline where those who makes those decisions and how they make those decisions is really important. And so ultimately UX boils down to the ability for a designer to synthesize a lot of information about how people use things and how people move about their lives and take that sort of current reality and imagine a better reality Mm -hmm. and make that happen for people. I think that's like the very basic definition for me of what design and UX can do for people. Yeah. And what is good design? What are some of your guiding principles of what makes a a design good? I think it should be easy to understand and delightful for people to use. Easy to understand in that I do think there's a little bit of a litmus test of your grandmother in Minnesota Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) should be able to understand what you're doing and you should be able to communicate your work and your ideas in that way and delightful to use in that I think there's something inspiring and keeps you coming back, inspires that like loyalty and love from people that I think is a hallmark of great design. And I think like a underpinning that is having that kind of empathy for people's lives. Like I think the actual process by which you are designing and the ultimate outcome of being very reflective of meeting people where they are in their lives and having that deep understanding of how people behave, what their beliefs are to reflect that in the product, I think is really powerful as well. Thank you for that definition. How did you get the gig at Sidewalk Labs? And how did you find that or they find you? Yeah, I, it was a little bit, it was a little bit of a, some persistence was involved. And so for <laughs> listeners out there, from my side. Oh, I, yeah, you got it. Yeah, I, I hope this is inspiring. But I actually heard about Sidewalk soon after its inception, maybe early 2016. At that point, I had spent in total close to uh, six years at IDEO. And I thought, I think I'm ready to to move on beyond a consultancy kind of model. And they, there was no like job posting or anything. I had just heard about Sidewalk and I thought, this is so interesting and so cool. And I think the main appeal and the draw was that Dan and his founding group folks and Alphabet were assembling a team that really was this like very diverse group of 
public servants, people who had worked in this city of New York, city of Chicago, people who had deep subject matter expertise in certain areas like transportation, like housing. And Craig Neville Manning was one of the founding members as well. He was like employee number 13 at Google, just a a wonderful person and a thinker on technology and, and also uh, other product folks. And I thought this is just seemingly like perhaps a bit chaotic, different, all these different types of people together. But I thought there's something very intriguing about this. And I can't imagine what they're doing is they're trying to think about the most complicated designed object of all time, which is cities. (laughs) Yeah. And I, at that point had realized when I was at IDEO, we had been doing, I had helped to start our public sector portfolio of work, which is essentially let's have, let's try to think how human-centered design and design thinking, these major practices uh, as espoused by IDEO can influence and transform the way that the public sector delivers their services for people and citizens. And I got really into how do we change institutions? And it was really hard. And at that point, I was also considering, should I work for the government? Should I work for a city? Should I work for the USDS, the United States Digital Service? And I still think about that. But I think at that point, I was, it was, I had worked on a project for almost two years with Chicago Public Libraries and the Gates Foundation. And it was such a wonderful experience, but also incredibly challenging. It made me grow a lot to understand what it was like to be you know, a public sector servant that I became very inspired. And so that idea of working within cities, working within the public sector and bringing design to maybe a lot of disciplines and other groups of people that hadn't necessarily used the tools in a designer's toolkit in that way, I think it became very appealing. And so anyway, this, the story of persistence is that there was no job posting and I eventually in a way cold called or figured out ways to connect with some of the folks in the company and had a couple conversations and they were like, it's not really time right now. There's nothing right now. Okay. And I then checked in, or I get, I heard more a year later when I left IDEO and actually went to join a startup called Flux.io, which was an early Google X spin out. And we were creating a SaaS tool to help architects and planners streamline their workflows and um, make sure they could coordinate on the design of a building across all these different groups. So I obviously had empathy for the user. It was definitely like sort of um, the kick in my rear to really leave the nest of IDEO. And that, I call it a nest because it's sort of comforting and nice to be in a bubble with like other high caliber designers who all like really understand and, and love design. And then you go out into the real world and people are like, what do you do? And what is design? <laughs> so I, I'd gone to this startup and it just so happened that we were working in a space that was something that probably Sidewalk was already thinking about. Um, one of the co-founders of that product ended up being an EIR entrepreneur in residence at Sidewalk. And he made the connection. He said, We're, Sidewalk is on the DL. Sidewalk is going to work on a really big project soon and you should talk to them again. So I persisted in that. I was like, and that, at that point I was like, oh, they need me. We got to talk again. Like and <laughs> really tried to do the knocking on doors and networking and the startup founder was also helpful in connecting me to some folks in the organization. So 
it was, it was a little, kind of a slow burn. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, very similar to my sales process. If I want something, I'll work backwards. Who do I know there? Like, how do I get in the door? They don't. There doesn't have to be something public posting about a job or a demand, and you just have to knock on those doors if you want something bad enough. So, thank you for st- sharing that story. You had made a, a funny. You you said Sidewalk Labs was one of Alphabet's bets, and just the way you worded that, I never really gave that much thought about the company name Alphabet. But when mm-hmm. you put it that way, you mentioned bets. They're, they're, they're really alpha stage companies and they're bets. And thus exactly. Alphabet is such a great name for that holding company now. That's, oh, that's brilliant. We <laughs> <laughs> thought of that. It's, it's like, it's I, yeah, I didn't even think about that. But it's, oh, I get it now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. I like yeah. it. So tell us about some of the projects there. What, what is something that you're extremely proud of? And, and, and that gives us a taste of what the work like is like over there. Yeah. We have a number of different products that we're working on. We obviously spent a fair amount of time kind of learning from our exploration into a real estate development in the city of Toronto. And we made some bets of our own, actually. We decided to invest in a few different areas specifically looking at sustainability and affordability as those metrics that we wanted to move and like themes around change in a city that we wanted to investigate. And so two two products that I'm really excited about, one just launched actually last fall, it's called Delve. And this is our software tool for urban planners and for developers to help them understand trade-offs in different neighborhood designs and help them really optimize these developments for different aspects of of quality of life, like walkability, daylight exposure, distance to amenities, sustainability impacts, all these different things that either haven't had a sort of rigorous data model around, or if there is one in terms of evidence around it, it comes much later in the stages of a real estate development project. So what Delve does is it equips people with that information upfront so that they can make those design decisions and align with the the many different stakeholders that are involved in any sort of large real estate deal. Delve is exciting to me because I think it I think it it harnesses a technology like machine learning to actually augment human expertise in these real estate development teams and try to help them solve what I think is a pretty wicked problem of profit, cost to build, all the other like factors that I mentioned before around quality of life, unit yield, transportation models. Again, like I said, the city is like the most complex designed object ever and tries to at least chip away at some of that uncertainty by giving people, arming people with that data upfront. Another product area, it's funny to call it It's a product, I'll call it, but it's not quite a product either. And it's our work around mass timber. So being able to have build buildings, what we call wooden wooden skyscrapers using cross-laminated timber, mass timber technology to build in a much more sustainable manner. How are these skyscrapers that we're talking about built on timber? Yeah, 35 stories tall, 35 plus, yeah. And so it's not necessarily like a new thing. Like I think a lot of builders in Northern Europe, specifically in Japan, have used this building method. But 
combining that with reaching new heights, allowing for density, as well as factory kind of pre-made kit of parts construction to provide efficiencies in the overall construction process. I think that's combining these elements makes it new. And our hope there is that we can build in a much more green and a much more cost conscious way. And that's obviously, it's obviously different from digital products and that we're hoping to create these buildings with a, with a physical factory and it represents uh, a different kind of business. I think that's what makes sidewalk inherently unique is that we have these, you could call them incubations, basically early stage product ideas that then turn into businesses internally. They're all like pretty different business models. They are all with the aim towards, again, radically improving quality of life in cities for all, bringing together people who are very uniquely qualified to make these, build these products and bring them to life, I think is really exciting. And what's the role of, how does a UX designer fit into that? And what does their day typically look like at Sidewalk? Yeah, so we have a number of products that are, I would say, span. Delve specifically is more on the very digital SaaS um, software product side, which I think for a UX designer is the most maybe clear comparative to what they might be working on today. And then we also have, for example, we have a product that's emerging. It's called Pebble, which is this privacy-preserving, cute little sensor that helps city transportation planners and curb and parking lot operators understand demand and supply at the curb and in different parking facilities. And is it detecting Wi-Fi signals or phone no, it's just, signals? It's, or? it's basically, is there a car over me or not? It oh, God. Yeah. And with the hope that a lot of people who are both circling around in central business districts looking for parking contributes to a ton of exhausting and emissions, but also in this post-COVID world, like the importance of really using the curb well for drop-offs and shipping and freight and all this kind of stuff happening in cities and recognizing that need. And there, that's like a hardware, software, firmware. The team there is really thinking about supply chain, manufacturing, the dashboard of understanding of curb supply or parking availability, data visualizations. So there's software components in all of these and other things that are oftentimes part of the larger package for a product at Sidewalk. So our product designers, I call them product designers and not UX designers. I think that, I think my intention there is that there's something that's quite more all-encompassing about being a product designer in that you really are looking after so many aspects of not just what's on the screen, but Mm -hmm. what is the actual experience of, let's say I'm sending you Mesa as another product where we put together these easy install kits with IOT sensors for commercial office building owners. What's that experience of receiving this? When I unpack it, how do I make this really delightful and easy to install? So designers really have to be mindful and really considerate of a whole system of both software interactions, but also physical kind of interactions, customer service implications that are a part of the whole package of understanding what's the value prop of this product and how can we help make it successful? Does that make sense in terms of- Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. 
there's this whole other discussion of yeah ux designers rebranding to to product designers it seems to come up on every episode funny yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but uh, i guess i'm old school this is why the podcast is called ux <laughs> before there was <laughs> webmasters <laughs> yeah it, st- it starts with it's a nod to like where the discipline came from i think it starts with ux and i like how the user is in that name. You know what I mean? I think when you say product and then it's, I think this is the expectation too at Sidewalk, which is you have to put your product thinking hat on and work really deeply with, in partnership with your PM to think about what's the roadmap? How are we going to grow this? Think about all the aspects of the product and not just, not just. uh, Just the user. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, user experience design has always been more than just the user, right? It has to make sense for the business. It has to be make sense for the tech team. Like it can't be all about the user. Something that's all about the user, if New York Times was all about the user, one, there'd be no gated content. Everything would be free. There'd be no ads. And that's the best user yeah. experience, right? Everything yeah. loads in one page. So you don't have to like go through 10 pages. But that's a great user experience, but it's not a great business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... It's, yeah, I think product probably encompasses a more holistic approach. Yeah. Maybe keep the podcast title the same, right? Yeah, for, for us old folks. That, that's, thank you for that. That was really a great answer. As we come towards the end of the interview, are there, I feel like you've navigated your career quite well, but in hindsight, was there any advice you'd give your younger self or anything you would have done different or told your younger self, if you could speak to her. I've often, I go back and forth on this. I think there's something about working in a field that like urban innovation, that's so interdisciplinary that you end up being a bit generalist by very nature of that. And I think it's always because what I'm, when I've encountered a, a fork in the road in my career, I tend to try in one way or another to do both of those things. Like even the example of what to study for my undergrad, I was like, oh, okay, maybe we'll just try both of those things. And I think that, I think while that couldn't work for some people, I think if I look back, I should have been more okay with giving myself the time and space to very deeply explore, take my time around these different areas and throw myself into it a little bit more, like put my feet to the fire in a way, like with, let's say architecture, even I didn't get enough of it in my undergrad. So when I was thinking about grad school, I was like, okay, maybe I'll, I guess I'll scratch this itch and go back to architecture school. But I was halfway committal, if I'm being honest about that. And I almost wish I could have either had a clear sense of rejecting that completely and walking away from spending more time on that, maybe by taking a job within a firm before committing to school, for instance. So I I think there's something about committing to one thing at a time and trying things out in a deeper way to see whether or not they work for you that I think I think I would probably give advice to my younger self. I think it also depends on where the economy is too. There's like a generalists do better when there's a little bit of a downturn. Yeah, a little more flexible. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I think that's a big part of it. Like being able to respond to the times obviously is, is key as well. Yeah, yeah. And I've been in 
my career long enough to see lots of down, at least three major downturns, right? First dot-com crash and the real estate crash, Asian financial crisis, all that stuff. But yes, I think it's good advice to be, have a hedge and, and be able to also, yeah, prepare for that. Yeah. Any resources that you find useful, books or anybody who's just starting out to design, what's your, your go-to things you recommend? It's funny. I One thing that's top of mind is that I've been rereading and listening to a lot of work by Jim Collins. <laughs> and he's always thought about it as a business author, actually, but mm-hmm. I find so many of his writings to be and his concepts to actually be more about like behavioral or organizational psychology, which I think is very fascinating. And so I think for any designer to be at the beginning of, or even mid career, and as you grow older uh, and are working for an organization where perhaps you're not the uh, founder to immerse yourself in some of these concepts, because At a certain point, I think design, so much of design is about how you communicate and how you advocate for your users, advocate for design quality, teach and educate others about what design is. It's all communication and like how you present those ideas to other people and how they might receive it. And so these like dynamics about what happens in an organization are so paramount and So that's something that I would recommend and something that actually I feel like every time I turn back to those, I feel like I learned something new. And then I think being able to, one thing that this actually goes back to advice that I would probably tell my younger self as well is making more of a concerted effort to reflect on, let's say some bite-sized amount of time, let's say like the last three months and think about what are some of the things that I've learned or I'm thinking about that might be an interesting insight or just almost a conversation starter for some folks that I haven't spoken to in a while. And this is like, it's in a more negative connotation. It might be about exercising your networking muscle, but I think I prefer to call it just connecting on ideas with people that you find interesting. Past mentors or past colleagues of mine reaching out and, and making it like hygiene and a habit that you're keeping in touch with them and continuing to learn from them. Like getting outside of like your own company, your own circle of friends, helpful to reach out to people who are like considerably older than you or considerably younger than you (laughs) (laughs) with some of the things that you're thinking about and to get their point of view on it. Yeah. Yeah. Grab a zoom coffee because it's easy nowadays. And it's better than like a, Hey, let's catch up. Or, hey, I I want a favor from you, right? Right, Because you don't want to do that all the time. I actually want to connect with somebody on ideas. And I actually want to get a very different point of view than what I'm seeing now. I think that's a habit I'm trying to instill a little bit more. Yeah. It's very meta because that's essentially what I'm trying to do here (laughs) as well. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking this is exactly it. What's going on here is what you're describing. Totally. Thank you for that. Uh, And how do people get in touch with you? You can email me, mht at sidewalklabs.com. You can reach me as lightly used Twitter at Michelle C.Y. Ha. And yeah, reach out with any ideas or a point of view that is different from mine. And which Jim Collins book is your favorite one? I think Good to Great is 
It's a great, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like uh, small giants because that's kind of what I'm trying to do. I don't want to grow a huge company. I think those uh, the other ones that are interesting, yeah, Too Big to Fail is another one, right? Like yep. it's a lot of lessons learned there. So yeah, we'll link those in the show notes. So thank you so much. Yeah. And thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us on this episode of What is UX? If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you leave us a review, I'll make sure to shout it out on the show. If you have any questions, send them to questions at whatisux.co and our guest and I will try to answer them on the show. And you can always find us on whatisux.co. See you on the next one.